Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome back to another episode of Nothing But The Dogs, special NFL Combined Edition featuring Duke Mannyweather. I'm flying solo today. This is your host, Mike Krupka. And uh, unfortunately, both Josh and John are unable to make it. They're tied up with uh, other engagements, but we do have an exciting show for you lined up. So appreciate you guys tuning in. Obviously, as you know, the NFL Combine was this past weekend. And one of the near and dear positions for Browns fans on our radar, on our we must go and get list, is offensive tackle, specifically to fit the obviously the new scheme with Coach Stefanski, but with the departure of Greg Robinson and the the question mark around right tackle, it's the position uh, du jour. So we're going to talk in depth about a number of different guys. Uh, in the class that competed this weekend, a number of the guys that Duke uh, was able to get his hands on and coach throughout the process there in Dallas. And uh, he's going to break us down, you know, some of the, the, the positives and some of the negatives, areas of opportunity for these guys to work on. He's going to talk about the combine and his thoughts on the combine. And uh, yeah, it's just a really good episode. Hope you guys enjoy. Thanks for tuning in. And uh, as always, your feedback, feel free to do so. You can follow us on iTunes, Spotify, anywhere you guys podcast. Uh, drop us a, a review. We love those reviews, those five-star ratings. And uh, yeah, just thanks for tuning in. Hope you guys enjoy the show. And go Browns. All right, Big Duke, my man. What it do? How you doing, man? Thanks for joining. Oh, no problem, brother. I'm glad to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, for sure. Hey, getting getting started here. What uh, what players did you have in your program this year? Getting ready for the combine. Yeah, you know what? I had a really good group of guys this year, and uh, it's been rewarding to be able to see, uh, you know, these guys execute. But I had uh, Makai Becton from Louisville, Josh Jones from Houston. Um, I had Akeem Adeniji from Kansas. I had Calvin Throckmorton from Oregon. I had Damian Lewis from LSU, Sadiq Charles from LSU, John Runyon Jr. from Michigan, uh, Cam Clark from Charlotte, Tremaine Ankrum from Clemson, Kevin Dotson from Louisiana Lafayette, who was a combine snub and is probably going right. to get drafted in the third or fourth round. 
Dallas Warmack from Oregon, another combine snub, has really good tape. Um, probably going to end up being a center in the league. Uh, Keith Ismail from San Diego State and Cole Cabral from Arizona State. Uh, you know, just I had, uh, you know, 13 guys this year, um, and we really got after it. And, you know, I think kind of what everybody saw was was going out there in Indy and just really executing what we had prepared for for the last, you know, six to nine weeks with some guys. A couple of your guys absolutely crushed it. Uh, they did really well for themselves this weekend. And I know, you know, one of the videos that I saw, I think maybe it was on Friday, it was of you kind of preparing your guys mentally before they went out and, you know, to execute. After the initial OL Masterminds launched, you had wanted to add the mental training aspects to the, to mm-hmm. the game and of the position. So were you able to fold that in to their prep this year? And what does that look like? Because obviously the mental part of being an offensive lineman is, is pretty vast. Yeah, well, I've got my own mental performance coach, um, Gary Frazier, um, who he's worked with O-Line Mastermind for the past two years. The pro guys have had access to him. Um, and really, um, what people need to realize is you can train your body, you can train your craft, but you cannot forget about training your mind. And so the message that we spoke to this draft class this year um, has been very consistent and clear in terms of identifying what needed to be done and identifying that the combine is just an event. It's not our final destination for what we're trying to get to. Um, when we set out, we talked about how, you know, these all-star games is a box we have to check. The combine prep is a box we have to check. The combine itself is a box we have to check. Pro day is a box we have to check. Um, these 30 for 30 visits, top 30 visit box we have to check to get us to the draft and then Medicare. At the end of the day, we want to be our best player, best version of ourselves for that rookie minicamp and then the peak into the season. And not so much for all the things you just saw. But to make a long story short, um, the mental performance aspect and piece has been um, a huge part of what we do. So kind of we kind of got caught there candidly. Um, actually, <laughs> my own guy, my own uh, mental performance coach, Jerry, caught that um, kind of in the moment. But really what it was, what it was, was me just getting these guys together. And that was probably about an hour before these guys went on the field. We went through our entire prep with the MJP and Nike Speed coaches, uh, Brian McCall, Aaron Piper. And really what you saw there was me saying, hey, listen, guys, let's not go out there and try to run fast. Let's not go out there and try to be quick. Let's go out there and execute the things that we've been practicing and working on for the last six to nine weeks. And I think we saw, you know, those guys go out there and do that from the 40 to the field work. Um, And – it became even more important that the mental aspect be put in this year because of all the curveballs that have been thrown in with the change of schedule and the change of drills and the run of show, the different change of order. Those guys were not put in a situation to succeed at all. In fact, they were put into a situation that left many players hurt. Yeah, that's an interesting, I guess, like you said, additional hurdle that I think everybody had to overcome was just the, the change of the cadence. And obviously the NFL's first time going through it, there are some hiccups. It right. obviously impacted players. And, you know, I think so, some of me wonders how much value you can glean out of, you know, seeing which players were able to to adapt to that. But at the same time, to your point, it does put 
everybody at a disadvantage when you know you really don't know what to expect and things are sort of in disarray. When you look at even the uh, the offensive line group, so the first offensive line group gets on the field. Um, Cole does a, a like a, a flexibility test, which uh, I know a lot of the receivers and DBs were kind of complaining about it with the hamstrings. I heard a few O-linemen complain about, you know, the flexibility test and doing it cold with the hamstrings. And then I guess they went into a dynamic warm-up. Then they kind of waited around for 20 to 30 minutes after dynamic warm-up for instruction. And then they did their 40, their skill work, and then they did all their other testing on the back end of that. So when you look at running 240s and then running all the skill work, those are max effort and single effort type approaches to drills and, and um, you know, actual right. timing. So when you look at that and then you ask a player to go out there and jump horizontally and vertically in terms of the broad jump and vertical jump, respectively, and then you ask them to be able to change directions um, in terms of the 5-10-5 and the L drill, um, it's just you're not going to get an accurate reading of what those guys truly are. Furthermore, when you look at that second group of offensive linemen, that second group offensive linemen had the flexibility test, you know, to start off with. Then they had broad jump and vertical before they had their 40, and then skill work, and then the rest of their testing on the back end. So, again, if we're trying to compare offensive linemen, you know, just like we talked about, you know, when you do a scientific study, you know, you kind of want the control group and you want all things being equal. That way you can get an accurate reading in terms of who's performing what and what does what. I don't think we saw that this weekend, um, you know, especially with the O-line groups. Yeah, that's a great point when you look at just the the process and the science behind it. Uh, it again, it, some people were at a disadvantage, others weren't. Mm-hmm. The good news, like you said, it's just part of the process. It's one of the boxes to tick uh, and and. T- and speaking of boxes to tick at the combine, I mean, what do you think is really the most important thing uh, pertaining to offensive linemen that that teams glean from from this event? <laughs> we all get enamored, and the re- the reason why the switch was was because you know they want to make this more appealing to be able to market and put in prime time and make money off of the playing the center. Right, right, you right. Know? So we can get excited about Makai Beckton you know, being 364 and running five flat, five one. You know, we could be excited about that. We could be excited about how he changed direction, you know, in his uh, skill work. We could be excited about the way Trishan Werfs ran and jumped and performed. But at the end of the day, I think what teams really value in this is the interview aspect. um, And that goes from psychological testing, player two assessment, um, finding out who a player is, what internally motivates him. Um, what he knows in terms of football X's and O's, what he's willing to do as a pro to take care of his body and to help his team win, and then the medical exams. I think really for offensive right. linemen, they know what an offensive lineman is and what his potential is based upon tape. Um, what this combine and timing and all that stuff does is kind of ties up loose ends and may give an intimate look to answer some questions that you may have based upon film, based upon what you think you may see. But for the most part, um, they know who these players are. They know what they're going to get. They know what they can be. So really what they're trying to do is do the rest of the leg work that you can't see on tape. And that, again, that goes to the mental, that goes to, uh, you know, the actual hands-on physical in terms of actual medical assessments. 
we were excited about Makai Becton and we were excited uh, about Tristan Wirfs. I mean, the way those guys performed was, it was pretty impressive. Across the board, man, really across the board, everybody came in and showed up. I don't think, especially with those top guys, nobody disappointed, you know, and that right. was what was really fun. I think we all set out to see, you know, who was going to kind of take everybody else in the deep water. And I think with, you know, Beckton starting off, I think a lot of people went, oh, shoot. But then hmm. when you got some of those more top guys, especially in that second group, because, you know, most of the other guys were in the second group, then they right. start to come out and run and perform. And it was like, oh, okay, we're here. That was interesting to see. Uh, you know, none of those guys really backed down. They came out and they did it. Yeah, they, they really solidified what a lot of us saw on tape. And that is, I mean, this group, this offensive line group is is pretty spectacular from – I mean, top to bottom, it's it's deep, it's it's talented. And specifically, when you talk about the Cleveland Browns and we talk about the type of offensive linemen that we're looking for under uh, Coach Stefanski's new wide zone system, I, I took some time and, and did a little deep dive into the New Orleans Saints offensive line coach, Dan, uh, I think it's R- Rocher. Or, Dan Rochard. Dan Rochard. I, I apologize, Coach, if, if you're listening to this for butchering your name, but I spent some time on, on his clinics and, and kind of trying to really understand what we're going to be looking for. And I want to ask you that question. I mean, in this wide zone system, what, what are some of those must-have traits or skills that, that you're looking for in an offensive tackle specifically? Yeah, you know what? First of all, I want to, I want to say that um, in terms of the traits and all that, I'm a firm believer that the fundamentals, the ground-up fundamentals of a stance, a base, uh, you know, hip mobility, being able to cut off the backside, being able to drive lock, hand placement, hips, um, landmarks, hitting inline landmarks, hitting next-level landmarks. Those are mm-hmm. all characteristics that make up a great and well, actually a good and a functional offensive line. Okay, those once you check all those boxes, you're going to be able to be a fit in any scheme. I think a lot of times with people end up uh, getting caught up in is, for instance, they see a big, powerful guy um, and they automatically deem him as a mauler, which reality is, you know, that's not always the case. I know some big SOBs that were tremendous zone blockers inside and outside zone. Uh, My good friend, Jeff Schwartz, you know, a lot of people thought he was gap scheme, but really he was a zone blocking offensive lineman. He was a guy that understood leverage, understood angles, and just got guys blocked and moved for eight years in the NFL. His brother's kind of the same way. Not the most athletic guy, but you can make the argument that he's the best right tackle in the league right now because those guys understand leverages. They understand angles. And, you know, he's able to cut off the backside. He's able to reach the front side. So I think what you guys are going to see, you know, with this new offense in Cleveland is they're going to want guys that can be able to run the backside and be able to, you know, slip blocks and sift up to the next level and be able to cut off you know, that three technique, if you're a tackle on the backside, you're going to want to be able to see that front side tackle, be able to uh, work the edge or be able to drive that guy to the uh, to the sideline on an angle. Um, and I tell you what, you see a lot of guys that fit that bill um, at tackle. Um, again, I'm going to start with my guy, Makai Becton. Makai Becton, big mauler, big as they come. But guess what? He's really, really effective as a outside zone type blocker as you saw from some of his tape in Louisville. Tristan Wirfs kind of checks the box for everything in terms of what he can do with his athletic ability. I think that he has a chance to be an all-pro guard, but 
that doesn't mean he can't play tackle as well. So I think you're going to see him get a chance to play on out on the edge, and he'll be able to do some things in terms of reaching and running and, uh, you know, really being able to be effective for moving the point and stretching the point. Jared Will, same thing, kind of a guy that kind of checks all boxes. He's more of a physical player, wants to come downhill, but definitely show those type of traits that he can play outside. Same thing with Andrew Thomas. Um, you know, again, all those top guys really show and check the, the box across the board from the ground-up fundamentals of, uh, you know, what an offensive lineman should be able to do. And that really makes them a, a, a scheme fit into gap scheme, inside zone, outside zone, or a multiple offense. You brought up probably two of the, the hottest debated topics in Brown's Twitter right now, and that is Kim Mackay Becton at his size, number one, maintain his health, but I guess 1B is, does he fit in the scheme? And, I, you know, watching his tape at Louisville, I saw those things happening. You know, I saw him moving in space. I saw him getting to the second level. I saw him absolutely, as everyone has seen at this point, just destroy just about everybody that, that he's up against when he's on the move. And measuring in at 17% body fat at his size, I mean, he's obviously in great, great shape. That's pretty impressive to me. Do you have any concerns with him in that sort of a scheme holding up longevity-wise over time? I mean, because he's sort of no, an, out, an, out, no. an outlier, right? So No. So I've been telling a lot of people this. I've had a lot of teams ask this. I've had other – you know what? I tell people this, and I think you guys kind of saw it this week, you know, People ask, well, is he Trent Brown? Is he Orlando Brown? I kept telling people, like, no, he's not. Like, my best comparison in terms of body type, I can say, was he's a more athletic Brian McKinney in terms of his lateral movement and lateral agility. And I think um, one of the comparisons I gave is that when LeBron James was coming out, you know, people said that, you know, he was was too big, he needed to pare down. And really what it was was LeBron set – the stage or set the bar for something completely new that we had never seen before. And that was a six, eight, 270 pound man that was powerful, quick, and really can do everything. And I think that's kind of what you see with Makai now. He's a guy that's just under six, eight, you know, that is really 355, 365 range um, that it has out of this world um, athleticism, um, and in terms of his work ethic, again, he's 17% body fat, um, you know, and that's a guy that a lot of times I had to pair him back because he wanted to do extra stuff, you know, and I had to get him to realize that, like, yeah, doing extra stuff is fine, but we need to be ready and dialed in for the combine. So let's not do too much extra in terms of volume accumulation. Um, so in that regard, he's willing to put in the work. Um, again, he's going to be a fit in the outside zone because that's what they did at Louisville. Yeah, I think there's a lot of stuff that we have quote unquote scripted throughout this. You know, we talked about the show map, but one of the things that we didn't is you just mentioned the, the comparison to LeBron. And I, I was thinking about that before the show, thinking to myself, you know, sometimes every now and then somebody comes out and they change and the game and the they based on their, yeah, it's just that whether that's their, you know, their, their genetic makeup and just how they're you know, composed, but it just, again, there are those outliers and I'm, I'm happy to, to hear you say that about this guy. Cause I, I think there's a lot of talk going on, you know, on out there about him and I think he does fit and I would love to see him make it down to 10 for the Browns in this scheme. Um, yep. what, whether that happens, we'll, we'll see. I, I don't think he'll, he'll be there at 10. That's the, that's the quote unquote joke at no one's going to be there at 10, but <laughs> it's going to be 
going to be fun to see what happens. Um, but but I tell you what, even when you look at a guy like Tristan Werbs, I mean, again, that's something we have not seen. We saw a 322-pound right. man and Tristan Werbs do some freakish things. So, again, that this entire – so I go back to 2013. When you look at some of those online – if you go back and look at the 2013 draft in terms of starting and quality offensive linemen, there was a lot of very good players in that draft that have turned into – all pro athletes. When you look at Lane Johnson, uh, you know, despite him having a bad game, Eric Fisher um, has really developed in. Luke Jokin, kind of an outlier there, ran into some injuries, didn't have the success. But when you even look later, uh, uh, you look at Teron Armstead, you look at guys like Brian Winters, you look at, you know, your Jeff Allens. There were so many guys in that 2013 class that have gone on to have tremendous careers. And that kind of is a a class that kind of goes down in history and say, hey, that was a great class. I think this 2020 class has a chance to surpass and kind of exceed, uh, you know, what 2013 did. And that's exciting because I look at just the, the 11 guys that I worked with, or actually 13 guys that I worked with, 11 that went to the combine, they did a lot of good things and they've got the tape to match it. And those, I have confidence that, all 13 of those guys that I've worked with have a chance to not only make a roster, but eventually start in the NFL. Yeah, it's exciting, man. I mean, the, the stuff that you're doing, the work that you're doing, it's, it's fun to watch. And it's certainly fun to watch your, you know, your pupils, if you will, go to the next level and have success and find success. Uh, I do want to circle back to the second hottest topic on Brown's Twitter, and that is the offensive tackle versus offensive guard debate with Tristan Wirfs. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You mentioned it just a second ago, but in your opinion, you know, why, why is that the discussion happening right now? I mean, why do you see him as a, as a better fit as a guard versus tackle? I mean, where does, where does that land with, with your mindset? Well, to me, the, despite, you know, what we saw at the combine, the tape still suggests in terms of um, kind of how he oversets. And then when he gets his outside edge challenge, he has issues sometimes redirecting to the inside. He's much better when he can stay square, um, when his set um, ends up being within two to three yards of the line of scrimmage. He can really square off and get his hands on guys. So we kind of saw that a lot with like Brandon Sheriff when he was at left tackle. He kind of had some of the same issues at Iowa where, you know, getting beat to the inside was really what it was. But now at guard, you know, we're talking about a guy that's probably going to reset the market here at guard here in a couple of weeks because now he never gets in that situation where his outside shoulder is being pried open. He has to de- defend the inside. So I think in that regard, you know, I think in that regard, uh, I still see Tristan Wirfs um, kind of as that guy that could be an all-pro guard, but still has the ability to play tackle. Um, I think if you draft him high, um, let's say the Browns got him, he's going to probably play tackle, no doubt about it. But say he ends up being somewhere else where they've got an established tackle and he happens just to fall there because he's, you know, best player available, which a lot of teams do draft best player available. Um, you know, who knows? He may end up at guard. And I think he's going to be a very high caliber, all pro type guard, especially with those traits he displays. And I want to circle back to Makai Becton in the same regard, meaning, you know, you've had a lot of chance to work with him. We talked about a lot of his strengths. We saw a lot of his strengths on display at the combine, but what are some things that you think he needs to work on uh, to, to really reach his potential? 
Yeah, you know, one of the big things that he needs to continue to work on is just switching up his hands. His feet and all that, those type of things are crisp. Um, he bends really well. But it's just, you know, learning how to use his hands, um, knowing how to change up his hands, that crafty hand usage, being able to create leverage with his hands, all those type of things. And we've been working on it. But that was a, a big area of improvement that I saw from his college tape when he came to me and something we've been working on all along. On the flip, I think Tristan Works is really good with his hands. Um, so um, in, in terms of the comparisons, or comparison, I should say, I think that uh, Works does a good job of playing with independent hands, does a good job of playing with two-hand punch, is able to end the fight immediately. Um, Beckham's really good with independent hands as well, um, uses that outside hand really well without getting off balance, um, and is also able to have a strong inside hand. What I would like to see him do, though, is – be able to switch up what he does and how he carries his hands just a bit. That way defensive linemen can't cue in on it. I think it's important to know, you know, every prospect has, has areas of opportunity. And I think while it's good to note those things, I like to always focus on what players can do versus what they can't do. Mm -hmm. uh, but obviously in order to reach your potential, you've got to work on all those, those, those weaknesses. So Correct. And, and it's, you know, most classes, most draft classes, aren't as strong as this one. And I think we've yet to talk about Andrew Thomas, who in any other draft class, just like the, the two aforementioned players, would probably be atop his own class. So he checked, he checked all the boxes with, with his movement skills on Friday. I think he's kind of been overlooked as a, a top prospect. Um, he fits the wide zone scheme, right? I mean, where do you see yeah. him fitting? So Andrew Thomas is interesting because though he – his traits say wide zone. I think, you know, he could definitely play there. Um, you know, he was in a really physical offense at Georgia that liked to come downhill and really pound guys, um, you know, power, inside zone, dual, things like that. Um, that's really what he um, had success at. Um, I still think that with his athletic ability and how we kind of saw him move and change directions, he's still going to be a scheme fit and outside zone and wide zone, though. Again, it goes back to how we started this podcast here. If Cleveland is looking for offensive tackle um, at 10, they've got plenty of guys that check the box in terms of fundamentals, critical factors, and athletic traits that don't just pigeonhole them into a specific scheme but allow them to play any scheme, which is important because you're not going to always be in the scheme in which the team drafted you with. So you got to be able to do everything, I think, early on into the career. Then as you start to build in your game and understand who you are as a player and you end up getting coached up, you're going to have specifics for your game. So Andrew Thomas is still another guy that I think fits there at number 10 for Cleveland. And I mean, really, there's probably close to 10 tackles that could be first-round caliber um, based off of film, traits, um, based off of film, combine, check, the box, and all those type of things. There's a lot of guys that you could talk about, at least in the top 64 picks. Right. Right. And then, and then we're going to jump around a little bit, but I remember you and I were talking back in January and I had hit you up because, you know, I love the offensive line, but it's not my forte per se. And I caught a guy just randomly on tape and he just absolutely jumped off the, the screen for me. He just was a silky smooth type of a player, was able to always get to the second level. I, I thought he had super long arms on tape. Uh, I asked you about him, and you mentioned back then, like, hey, this dude, you know, may be yeah. in consideration at the back end of the first. Yeah, uh, turns I still out believe that. 
you know, this weekend we saw the reasons why, or at least some of the reasons why, and that's Matt Pert from UConn. Uh, we know mm -hmm. he's got octopus arms. What, what was he at? 36 inches or something like that, something crazy. Correct. Um, yep. and, and in terms of him, I'm curious, and I, I kind of want to talk about a, a myth or something that goes around common misconception maybe, but a lot, of, a lot of people believe that arm length equates to you being a good offensive tackle, and I would always argue that <laughs> – Arm length is important, but hand placement, amongst other things, is way more important than the length of your arm. So, yeah. is that something so, that that you believe in? Yeah. So your hand usage and your ability to create leverage with your hands, your ability to change up your hands, to be crafty with it, is way more important than how long your arms are. Um, if you look at some of the top tackles right now, um, they're not over 34 inch arms, and they're tremendous. You look at guys like Teron Armstead, David Bakhtiari, uh, Brian Balaga, uh, Joe Staley, uh, Joe Thomas. None of those guys were over 34 inches and are arguably some of the best tackles we've seen in the past 10 years. Um, that being said, you know, Kurt is interesting because on UConn tape, it jumps out because he's actually really good with his hands for being even with 36 inches, you know? So mm -hmm. to me, that checks its own box because you got a guy that knows how to use his hands, um, actually has a really powerful two-hand punch, can play with an independent hand, strong inside hand, and he's got the length. To me, that's really cool. Um, he has tremendous speed as well. Still a little raw in terms of how his feet need to be in certain situations, especially expanding set points um, when somebody gets to his edge or when a defender gets to the top of his rush. Got to have – uh, issues transitioning his kick to an anchor and putting it all together. But he's a guy that it, I think it's going to be really hard for a team not to take him as a top 64 pick. And uh, there's a couple of guys in that regard. I think another one is Ezra Cleveland from Boise State. Ezra Cleveland was a guy who, um, again, Lightford, I thought was a guy that could probably be in the top, uh, you know, top 35 picks or so. Uh, would not surprise me if there's a run on tackles. If him or Perp end up at the bottom of the of the of the first round, it probably won't happen just because of what teams need. But again, it's just those type of guys. There's going to be plenty of talent for some of these teams to grab in the top 64 and even their top 96 picks. Yeah, I mean Ezra Cleveland. I, I got to wear the pie on my face for this one. I mean, he totally surprised me anyways by his performance at the combine I, I know I watched his tape I thought he was athletic I didn't think he was that athletic and yeah I think his, his performance was one of the best offensive line performances over 300 pounds I think in the last I don't know how many years but what what about him really stands out to you aside from the athleticism yeah well Brad Bedell up there at uh, Boise State does a great job with developing offensive linemen you know Bedell's a really good coach they've also got Machelon uh, coming out this year who when you look at those guys on tape those two guys really stood out Marshallon, um, you know was a guy that was really physical on the other side of Ezra Cleveland but what Cleveland does is Cleveland is very smooth with everything that he does he's able to cut off the backside he's able to climb to the next level uh, he gets his hands on guys and uses his backside hand really well to create uh, torque and leverage um, and pass protection he's really patient and staying inside out um, and plays with tremendous length as well um, in terms of actually utilizing his hands with the length he has. Um, again, just a guy who's freaky athletic, wins the blocks with his feet, and is always in good position. 
to me, when you see a guy always in good position and then being able to, you know, sustain blocks, that translates into Sundays versus a guy who uh, is always looking to, you know, make up ground and out of position and then has to recover and then just to get a guy blocked. A lot of times that does not um, bode well for the next level. You've got to be able to win the block with your feet first, have first meaningful contact, being able to stay on a block, stay, sustain a strain um, to have success on, on Sundays. Yeah, that that's that's all stuff that uh, that resonates with me, especially within the the wide wide zone scheme, right? Correct. Uh, those first two three steps, getting in position, using your hands, and then you know climbing past your landmarks to the second level if that's what it calls yeah. for. Um, and I guess using that as a as a jump off here, climbing to the second level. When you look at Josh Jones and you look at kind of how he's ascended through this process, especially when you look at his tape. And I haven't had a, a deep dive into his tape. I know he had kind of a rough start to the season, kind of kicked it yeah. into gear at the last half of the season, obviously put in the work with you to get ready for the combine. Yeah. But in terms of his, uh, you know, again, taking to the next level, what can you attribute that to this year? Kind of what, what clicked for well, him and why did, he, why did he kind of get it together? Well, Josh Jones, first of all, I got to say, he's a very mature uh, young man. Um, you would swear that he's been in the NFL for five or six years with just the way he goes about his business and handles his business and um, the way he uh, talks and prepares. But um, the interesting thing about Josh is that Josh has had, I believe, five O-line coaches in four years. So um, when that ends up happening, there's a lot of different messages. There's a lot of different cues. And eventually for a young man, that becomes sometimes overwhelming where you had a coach tell you this, and then this coach is telling you this, it all starts to run together. So there was no real continuity into what he was learning. And as we know, offensive line is a position of continuity and uh, a clear message as you start to build your game. But I think what you end up seeing is down the stretch, Josh finding what worked for him and a guy that's always in position with his feet. He's, his game kind of is a mix between Teron Armstead and Lane Johnson in terms of smoothness, but then can light you up in the run game as like a Tawan would do, uh, but has that nice range like Lane Johnson. Very crappy hand usage. He's able to use inside hand, outside hand, two-hand punch. is able to snatch and trap, um, able to collapse hands. So Josh is somebody that came as a, uh, a pleasant surprise in terms of what he put on tape and then what he was willing to do in a, to address to get better from, you know, the time I got him to – the combine. So I look forward to working with him for the rest of his career because he's truly makes it easy to work with because he learned so fast. So that was one of the things that, you know, I really had to register in terms of, you know, why did his tape look different? And then as we start to talk to him, he had five O-line coaches in four years. So that's a lot to uh, comprehend, process, and really, you know, put a product on the field when you, when that happens. Oh yeah, for sure. I mean, you got to have consistency as a player, especially as a developing player, in order to Correct. you know to have consistency um, on you know on the field. So, yeah. what really drives Josh? I mean, again, another player that you had in in your in your council here for the last couple of weeks or, or months. You know what? Yeah, what drives him is simply his family. He said that he wants to the name that he's going to wear on the back. Um, he's very prideful of. You know, he's very prideful of doing things the right way. And uh, once he attaches his name to something, being the best at it. 
And I've kind of seen that. I've seen, again, another guy that you kind of got, got to dial back. You know, he's the type of guy that wants to do a thousand push-ups in his room. I'm like, I, people still do that. But sure enough, Josh is that type of guy, always doing mobility stuff. But he's really a guy that, again, that's mature and goes about his business as a professional already. And really his family and wanting to be the best is really what drives him. And I think, uh, you know, the, th- the thing that I've learned about a lot of these guys is these guys have no fear. And we define fear as a unit, O-Line Masterminds, is fear is the, the non-act of not doing anything. And success is the ability to go out and do exactly what we want to do with no qualms, no reservations, and execute what we talked about. And I think all these guys as a whole have done that in the past six weeks, and they're going to continue to do that um, as we continue to check boxes in this process. Sounds like uh, a, a segment from a Navy SEAL book or, or something like that. <laughs> like the, the seven P's or you know how that goes, right? Yeah, absolutely. So you're talking about family with Josh. You know, there's another, another prospect in the offensive tackle class that I think the, the name family is attached to probably closer than anybody, at least after the combine and leading up to the combine. Obviously, the story of Austin Jackson and his – uh, yeah. You know his his ability to put his family before himself, and and you know what he did for his for his sister. Uh, I mean, do you have any? Are you ever any, any stories about about this young man? Uh, obviously, that's important to him. But kind of, what have you heard about him? Um, I, there's not any stories that I've heard. Um, I do know his agent really well, but um, there's nothing per se that I've heard. What I've heard is that he is a selfless um, person, selfless young man, which I think he's shown. Um, on tape, I got to be honest with you, I thought he was hot and cold. You saw the flashes, but you just, you're like, man, he just couldn't really put it together. Then you start to learn more about him as a person, as a man, and what he's been through, how he started that season, how his offseason went. And all of a sudden you go, wow, that's actually a, a person right there at left tackle that really exemplifies resilience, the ability to, to bounce back and return mm-hmm. in the form without breaking. So to me, when looking at, you know, Austin Jackson, I got to see him up close and personal at the combine, um, was able to see him bench, able to see him uh, on the field and just the way he carried himself. Uh, he's a good looking, put together young man that's way stronger, way more athletic. Um, and, um, you know, just uh, than I thought initially just looking on tape. Um, so it's going to really force me to go back and watch him even more. I'm rooting for him because of what he did for his family. Yeah, no doubt. I'm 100% rooting for him. And just like you, I thought he was hot and cold. And for me, that yep. had sort of pushed and, him and, down. And he, and he was on tape. I mean, he was on tape. Right. You saw that. Again, another another situation where athletic traits, um, you know, is going to give him an opportunity. You saw he did sign with the same agent as Tyron Smith. Um, I think he's been down there working with Tyron Smith a little bit. So, uh, and again, a built. when I saw him in person, he looked like Tyron. Very lean. Long arms mm-hmm. put together. That frame's not maxed out yet. Uh, just a mature-looking body, um, so to speak. But uh, we, we, there's no denying the, the tape was hot and cold. Um, but that being said, depending on where he ends up going and uh, you know where he may end up, and I let me let me jump here. Speaking of that, where he may end up going and where he ends up in terms of development, I gotta say Cleveland got it right. The hiring of Bill Callahan um, mm. and then, you know, getting Scott Peters as the assistant O-line coach, familiar with both of those guys. 
Um, I've talked to Scott Peters quite often, saw him this week in Indy. Um, I've had a, a ton of players that have played for Bill Callahan, you know, back channels, uh, ways we've communicated with Bill Callahan um, over the past couple of years. Um, very hard-nosed coach, but gets a lot out of his guys. and is a tremendous developer of 9 talent. So you got to feel great about no matter who the hell you draft in Cleveland uh, with, you know, Bill Callahan and Scott Peters there to help develop and bring those guys along. Yeah, that's one of the big things that as this coaching staff has come together, it's one of the bright spots for me anyways. There's been a lot, but that's one of the brightest is, is getting him in-house and the work that he's done with the offensive linemen. We're, we're certainly going to need it on the offensive line. I mean, we've got a great center. We've got a great left guard. And then the rest yep. right now are all, are all question marks. So mm-hmm. as it pertains to Austin Jackson, I mean, what? He, you see him as a, a zone scheme fit too, right? Yeah, zone scheme. Um, type fit. I think he's going to be able to do a lot of things in terms of inside zone, outside zone, wide zone. Um, still shows uh, some of those those traits in terms that you you want to see that can kind of do it all. I'm not sure though if he plays with enough functional power to be in a gap scheme. I mean, with that being said, when you look at some of the things that he's going to be asked to do in a gap scheme, you know, he's going to have some double teams and stuff like that. But when you have got to really move a guy off the ball. You know, if he's head up on you or in a four eye, I'm not sure that he can do that. Um, didn't show it on tape. Doesn't mean it's not there eventually, but I think he's going to be better suited when he can run a guy, um, get across his face, be able to use some of the athleticism to really get to an edge or to, to cut off the backside. So a couple more prospects here before we let you loose for the night. I want to talk about another guy that you had in the program. I believe this dude is like only 20 years old right now. A uh, young guy in the true up and down fashion of the tape. I think I saw it with him as I watched a couple of his different games, and that's uh, Shadiq Charles. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. So again, and and I say this if these guys are you know are listening, you know I, I don't say this with any disrespect. Just like you, you know, just being objective. Um, I want to see all these guys succeed at the next level, regardless. But. Uh, you know, I really liked how he played down the stretch. I really liked how he played in the run-up to the national championship game. Uh, I think he's a mover. I think he fits in the scheme. Um, and I think he finished strong as well. But, you know, what are some of his biggest areas of, of improvement and kind of what did you glean from your time with him in, in the, the program leading up to the combine? Well, you know, some of the biggest uh, areas for improvement that I see with him is just uh, overall understanding leverage and then hands. Um, I think a lot of times he didn't know the connection between hands and leverage and what that means. Does a really good job of getting his feet into position, which is why he had so many um, blocks on the move and had success there. No matter if you were talking about reach blocking, backside cutoff, um, or even down on screens, was really able to target uh, defenders downfield. Another thing that you got to look at too, especially when you look at uh, his Florida game, is that he's able to play with enough power coming off the ball where he can really move guys off, off, off the ball as well. He's an interesting build because he's about 6'4 and a half. He's about just under 34-inch arms, tr- has tremendous feet, and you know it can play on the edge. But I would not be surprised if teams want to put him at guard. You know, he weighed in at 321 at the combine. He's really about 315 is what he plays at. But could you imagine him, say, in Dallas at left guard next to Tyron Smith? You know, kind of that bloodline of big schools. They got Lyle Collins at right tackle, 
They got Zach Martin, a former left tackle at right guard. And then all of a sudden you put, um, you know, Sadiq Charles, you know, in between uh, Tyron Smith and Travis Frederick, you may have something there. Um, just an just a example, you know. Um, sure. So a guy, a guy that I think definitely can play uh, tackle will need to be in the right situation to continue to develop. Um, he's going to be with me um, full time in terms of getting him correct and with his technique and stuff. But uh, a guy that I would not still wouldn't hesitate to put him um, at guard because of how powerful and explosive he is. Um, and again, if you put him in the right situation with like, again, between a Travis Frederick and a Tyron Smith, you may have something that's really special with how athletic and how much power he has, not to say that he can't play tackle. You know, he had his suspension. And I say that because obviously he made it through that gateway at the combine was able to compete. Mm -hmm. What, what lessons would you say that, that he's learned from that, that was, that he shared with you? And I mean, any, anything that you can glean uh, for our listeners about that situation? Yeah. You know, one of the big things that he realized is that, one, the people he, he realized that he had to hang out with a better crew um, that were like-minded. And then the second thing was that he realized that he got a second opportunity and a second chance after he thought that, you know, it was over. Um, mm -hmm. You know, one of the big things that he expressed is that he never planned on, uh, you know, exiting and leaving school early, especially after the suspension. Um, you know, he really felt like his big – motivator is his mom you know he wants to be able to take care of his mom and he said he felt like that he let his mom down with the suspension and then all of a sudden as the season goes on he's playing better and better they're on the way to make a run and he goes oh man I've been given a second chance like, I can't mess this up he goes this is my opportunity to be able to take care of my family and you know really right the ship so the big motivator for him was realizing and owning that he screwed up and he made mistakes. And, uh, you know, he was very upfront and honest about it um, because at first I was even skeptical. That was one of the first things um, I asked is, hey, uh, why are you coming out? And, you know, he made it very right. clear that he was given a second chance that his, his family was a huge motivator and he realized that he was going to be in position to be able to help them when he didn't think he would be at the beginning of the season because of, you know, his wrongdoing. So that was really powerful. That's really cool. Um, I think a lot of these guys come up in adverse situations. Um, you never know what these kids are, are dealing with that they carry with them. Um, I try to be a mentor and non-judgmental to a lot of these kids because of some of the adverse situations they've come through and battle back um, and shown resilience. There's that word again. So yep. I just try to make sure that, you know, I don't treat my players equally. I treat them fairly. You know, I tell those guys that all the time is that, if I'm dealing with you, I'm not going to treat you equal because you're not like the other person. But I'm going to 100% treat you fairly to your situation, your circumstance, what you've been in, what you're going through, and what you're trying to achieve. Yeah, I love that. And I think, uh, you know, from a leadership standpoint in my job and, and, and being coached uh, throughout my career as an athlete, I think that's a very important standard to, to set and to hold, you know, your – your pupils, your players, your employees accountable to is I'm not going to treat, you know, everybody the same, but I'm going to treat everybody fairly. So last guy I want to talk about, and I'd be remiss for a lot of my, my Browns followers on, on Twitter, if we didn't, and that was, uh, and that's Isaiah Wilson. Um, yeah. Dude, dude looked like a, SOB. Yeah. It looked like a wrecking ball, man. Up at the podium. I was like, Oof, that's the first guy off the bus. That's the guy you say yes, sir, to, and you open the door and you get out of his way. That, that dude was big. 
I think uh, Isaiah Wilson and Makai Becton win the all bus team, man. Those yeah. two dudes are big. John Smith, too, from Clemson. Those two guys are big, thick, lean, athletic-looking dudes. And um, I think Isaiah Wilson really showed that he possesses all the physical traits and on tape some of the critical factors needed to be a starting right tackle um, in the NFL. He's a guy that I think is going to be for sure um, somewhere uh, in that mid-second round to third round. I don't think he gets out of the third round, though. I think, again, there's so many good tackles, and I think there's going to be a run on tackles. Um, Georgia's got two really good ones. Um, you know, and I, I just – I like what Isaiah Wilson did. I like the physicality he plays with on tape. Um, I think he does need to get better with his hands. A lot of times his elbows will flare and allows players to get into him and leverage him just a bit. I think he's going to need to do a better job of understanding how to use his leverage with his hands and, uh, you know, putting it all together in terms of playing powerful and with leverage. So I'm excited to see how he does. I'm also excited to see what type of uh, attention he draws in this um, draft process over the next two months. Yeah, for sure. I mean, there's been a lot of people chirping about him, and, and I've watched his tape, and I and I really like his tape. Do you, do you think he's a zone zone fit guy too? Do you think he can get out there on the edge and and, and uh, move? You know, he's not gonna go, he's not gonna be a guy that's gonna reach the edge, and that normally doesn't happen down in the NFL. He is a guy that's gonna be able to take a guy down the middle and really have an angled drive block and be able to take him out, um, you know, out the front side to the sideline. I don't know if he has that complete range to fully cut off the backside consistently. Uh, Isaiah kind of reminds me, and he's not a uh, – Isaiah's a little heavier, but he kind of reminds me of a Jeremy Parnell uh, who was just a big, tough SOB. You know, Parnell was 6'8", 325, heavy mm-hmm. hands, um, really great on the front side, found ways to get it done on the backside, but had a long career, played 11 years. Uh, so he kind of – like Isaiah kind of reminds me of – of JP in that regard. Um, you know, again, I think that Wynn is going to be more, I mean, not Wynn, uh, Wilson is going to be more of a, uh, a a fit and more of a gap scheme. I think that you're going to see him want to come off the ball, ready to really come downhill on a guy, be able to lift the guy on a deuce block with the guard, uh, be able to really uh, drive and create displacement at the point of attack. Um, those are all the things that I see from Wilson. Well, Duke, man, again, I really appreciate you coming on the show. A big mahalo nui loa from, from me and the guys. Real quick, what, what's next for you in, in the process uh, leading up to the draft? I got a couple of different things going. Right now we're fully, uh, fully rolling with our uh, NFL veteran uh, groups. We've got about 20 down here now. We'll probably get another 10 in the next uh, week or so. So the veterans are starting to roll in and they'll be here until April 18th. I think they all report on April 20th. So we've got that rolling. Um, I'm going to start hitting. uh, And of course, a lot of the guys that just finished the combine are going to be hitting pro days. Guys that have later pro days are already back with me working. Um, And then I'm going to be hitting the road with the final five offensive line Academy. Um, you know, something that um, I've been working on for a long time to return to fundamentals. And um, kind of our thing is uh, fundamentals, focus, finish. And what it is, it's a one-day camp. It's all things O-line from mindset to classroom to offensive line mobility to 
stance to posture to run game to pass protection. No one-on-ones. It's old school teaching. And it's me being able to get out there, teach, um, critique, and really build a rapport with players and coaches. Um, our first one is in Orlando on March 14th. Then we're in Indianapolis on March 21st. And then we're here in Dallas on April 4th. And then we're in Los Angeles May 9th. There may be more dates added, but the response that we've already gotten from coaches are going to be there, uh, you know, local high school coaches that want to learn. So it's going to end up turning into like a live action clinic where we're going to have, you know, high schoolers from that are ninth through 12th grade are welcome to sign up and coaches are welcome to come out and observe and listen and ask questions. So it's going to be a very hands-on and fun thing. Nothing like this has ever been done. Um, so, you know, I'm really excited to get this off the ground and rolling. Um, but again, we're going to be doing those on the weekends. We got the pro group running. We're getting the guys down in for uh, pro day and for these top 30 visits. And then we're bringing that thing home for, uh, you know, the NFL draft in Las Vegas. I'm really dialing that thing in. Of course, I'll be watching more prospects as we go here. That way I kind of have uh, a keen idea of, you know, what everybody is. Um, I'm fortunate enough where I'm able to watch film all year long on a lot of these prospects with been on the Joe Moore Award Committee. And, you know, I'm able to bounce back and forth watching college and pro tape. So I kind of know how it looks and what succeeds and what doesn't. Uh, but, yeah, that's kind of what's going on for the spring. And then, of course, we've already started planning for the third annual O-line Masterminds that is blowing up. Um, that'll be in the second weekend in July. So we're looking forward to, to continue to, to uh, build that thing and continue to make it the biggest aggregation of offensive line uh, talent in the world. Um, we're just – we're doing a lot of things that's never been done before. And, uh, you know, it, it's really uh, changing the game. And we want to continue to do that, provide – uh, services and resources that um, really nobody's doing. Yeah, man, I'm excited to see what you guys put together this summer and, and continue to build upon and just excited for you and everything that you got going on right now. And, you know, if you guys do decide to do anything out here in, in Honolulu, you've got, uh, you know, a free well, volunteer who's lined up and ready to help. You just let me know. Well, Honolulu is actually one of the places that uh, I talked about I want to come. Um, and kind of do like a free camp if I could, you know, you know, I got family out there in Ebbing Beach. Um, and, you know, I try to get back to Oahu every year. Last year, I didn't make it. I'm definitely getting there this year. I'm going to try to sneak in a trip, um, you know, for, you know, seven to 10 days as I normally do. So that's coming up. Nice. Hopefully, um, I'm not sure if the camp will happen this year. That takes a lot of planning, and logistics, but it's definitely something that we've talked about. I know a lot of people uh, on the island, you know, are going to be very supportive of it. They've asked when I'm coming over, and that's something that's really near and dear to me that I want to do, um, you know, along with going over to see my family. <laughs> Heck, yeah, man, that's huge. I, I, I mean, I knew you had family over here, but that would be uh, definitely a, a great sense of community thing out here, as, as you know, is important. So look mm -hmm. forward to that, and, you know, thanks for coming on the show, and we appreciate your time. Man, thanks for having me. I'll talk to you soon, brother.
With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.